one of the things that a lot of people say that they miss after they leave is, is the certainty. Like I knew everything then, right? Like there was no mysteries in the universe left. Like we had it all down pat. It's here in this book, and like that's great. Um, because to go through life and lose people um, and experience things and not be able to say something like, well, God has a plan, right? Or I'm going to see these people later. That's a hard thing to work through. And it requires a lot of introspection and a lot of wrestling with things that we really don't know and learning to come to terms with those things. And it's hard. It's really hard, you know, like, and it's something people talk to me a lot about because I've experienced a pretty decent amount of death in my life is like something I'm having a hard time letting go of, or they, they'll say this to me, is this idea that I get, can see my grandma again, or I can see this person that I love again. And there's not an easy answer. Like, I can't give them an easy answer. Welcome to Wetwired. We're joined today by the Queen of the Heathens, Jessica, to talk about evangelical deconstruction and life after church. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. We've covered a lot of Christian nationalism from Greg Locke to the wall builders, David Barton, and plenty of satanic panic too. We haven't talked much about what it looks like from the inside of an evangelical church or what that exit sign looks like. Jessica is known on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube as the Queen of the Heathens, the Heathen Queen, and she knows a thing or two about evangelical Christianity in the U.S. She spent two decades in it before leaving because she read the Bible a little too well. She also has her education in economics and political science, so we will probably get a pretty good idea of how these all come together. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, did you want to add anything to that, by the way? Or make any corrections? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I think you guys got it like pretty spot on. I'm being joined by all my dogs at the moment. Uh, yeah, no, I think you guys nailed it. Well done. Huzzah. All right. First off, I, I have to ask, how many dogs do you have and what kinds so are they? So I personally have three dogs, but I also work with dogs in like my day-to-day -day life. And so I'm boarding two right now. So I okay. currently have five dogs in my house. Um, my dogs are all foster fails. So they're all mutts. They're naughty, but yeah, I love them. <laughs> I've seen a couple of them just on on you know some of your videos. You know, the, uh, the where the dogs in the they background. They like to guest yeah. spot. Uh huh. <laughs> and Sean, you have a bit of a zoo over there, don't you? Not as much as we used to. At one point, we had three dogs and two cats, but now we have we have two dogs and one cat. I have four half dead plants uh, because they're always <laughs> in the midst of some kind of a resurrection. Because I remember to water them when I see them wilt. Uh-huh. That, that's what they love. That's that's how they like to be treated. I also have like 5,000 plants in my house. The keeping the plants alive is a real struggle. When the pandemic started, I everybody was looking for hobbies that they could sort of do in their house. And I started collecting some rare plants and then some not so rare plants and like learning how to do all of that. Um, and that was also before I found out I had ADHD. So 
now I just have this massive <laughs> collection of plants that I was super interested in for like a month uh, <laughs> that I'm having to upkeep. Oh, yeah. Is that is that garden store in in uh, in Alameda still open? The one that has the coffee shop outside? Um, I think there's one in Alameda called like the Dry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you know, not Alameda, Albany. Oh, um, I, I don't remember what it's called, but I, I think so. I think so. I that think place I've been is there. Awesome. I love that place yeah, so much. It was it was really pretty. If I'm remembering correctly, I just can't for the life of me remember what it's called because I only went there once. <laughs> Yeah, Julian, it's like uh, it was like a an airstream or something comparable to that was set up out in there, like amongst all the outdoor plants. Yeah, and then they had some tables, so you could get a good coffee and sit there in the garden shop and just hang out. But they also had really cool stuff, like they had this uh, this great collection of garden tools, like Japanese gardening tools. Really, that's and so eclectic. Really neat stuff. Yeah, it, it's such it was such a cool place. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like exactly what I imagine Oakland would be. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty much, it lives up to the reputation. I'm sure yeah. that it's similar in Seattle, but Oakland, the Bay Area, really, is very uppity about their coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And everyone has oh like gosh. a craft coffee shop, and, you know, you wait 10 minutes and they do this like whole ritual pour over thing. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then they do a little dance. And yeah, then they had some spices. The <laughs> $15 avocado toast. Exactly. Too. And then we sacrifice. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's cute. It is a phenomenon of less, of the left coast. I'm, I'm positive that there has to be good coffee at all times on every corner. I know. I have a friend. I mean, I have many friends that live on the East Coast, but I remember I was talking to him once. And he was going to get coffee. And I said, like, oh, where are you going? And he said, Starbucks. And I went, oh. <laughs> and he was like, what? Like not, not, not even Pete's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, he was like, I love Starbucks. And I was like, um. All right. Yes. I don't know that we can you know. be friends any longer. No, I'm just It's a kidding. big world. Uh, There's a lot of kinds I, of people out I, there. I went and bought like three bags of coffee from different places here and shipped them over there uh -huh. because I was just like, I, I, I what, what? <laughs> you can't live that way. Yes, there, there, there is a better way I to know, live. Like if you're going to drink, like if you're going to drink a lot of coffee, at least make it good. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. I'm a, I guess I'm a coffee snob. I really don't like Starbucks. I hate it. Well, it's, when you, when you have so many great choices that are not a national chain, I mean, not even to mention the, all the labor stuff, but Really, just the quality right, of the yeah, exactly, coffee. Exactly. Yeah, not even talking about the labor stuff. <laughs> it's just why, the quality of the product. Like, why on earth would you do that? I mean, may, maybe, maybe if if you lived in Missoula, Montana. Uh, no offense to all of our listeners in Montana. Actually, they they have amazing stuff in Missoula. God damn it! <laughs> that's like I a, that's, the that, one that's, bad that's, example. Th yeah, that's a, that's that's an incredible food capital of the country. Who knew? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like like craft beer and food and coffee. All of it is like it's 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 very uh, it's very refined there. It's like a fucking episode of Reading Rainbow up in here. We're just learning things <laughs> all the time. The more you know, the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get us back on track here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm go ahead. I can talk about it for a long time. <laughs> All right. I'm curious how, so 
there there was a point in your past where Jessica where you were you were still actively religious and in the church and things started to change and I, I'm I'm curious because that's not that's not my background but I know it is the background for a lot of people where they 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 find themselves in a very insulated type of environment where you don't necessarily have access to a lot of outside information and all the answers are, 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 you know, the, the, the answers to all the questions a person might have are direct, you know, the, are directed to people inside that, in that same environment. Yes. It's called so they the manage cult. to sort of just, no. <laughs> yeah, it, it, no, I it really, it, it really is that kind of dynamic though, because it just, everything gets sort of like recycled through the same filters over and over again. And, you don't really have a way out necessarily. And I'm wondering how you managed to do that. Oof, where to begin? Um, so before I kind of jump into it, I will give a, a trigger warning because there's some death involved. Not me. I'm still alive. But uh, if, just so people are <laughs> Talking, aware. Uh, uh, coming at you we with the ghost of Jessica. Rec- <laughs> yeah. We have the best <laughs> guests on this show. <laughs> you can't see, from see the our off-screen... You know? <laughs> you can't see our off-screen channeler, but uh... <laughs> right, exactly. There's a whole altar behind me off camera. <laughs> so, goodness, I try to make this story concise, but it's a bit challenging. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the evangelical church, and yes, exactly like you said, everything is very insular, especially in the more fundamental like segments of it, which I was a part of, and I always had questions. Because the section or segment that I was in was also very charismatic. And so there was always people, you know, speaking in tongues and passing out in the spirit and having all of these very visceral emotional experiences. And I was not having those. (laughs) Um, I I just wasn't. I never did. And it wasn't for lack of wanting them or or trying. Um, And so I always sort of wondered, like, what I was what I was missing, like what, why this wasn't happening for me. Um, but I also was told that you can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your heart. Your heart's wicked, deceitful above all things, right? That's in the Bible. And sometimes you just had to have faith and move forward. So that was sort of what I was operating on for, for a long time. I ended up, let's see, after high school, um, I ended up moving away from home for a bit. Then I came home and I started dating um, this guy. And about a year after we had started dating, this is the trigger warning, um, he shot himself. And it was, as you can imagine, incredibly traumatic for me and for his family and for everybody else. Um, But at this time, I thought to myself, I've been told forever for my whole life, that God will meet me when I'm at my lowest point, when I'm at my most broken. And that was the lowest point in my life. And that's saying something because I grew up in a very dysfunctional, abusive environment. Um, But this was just on another level. And so I decided I'm going to go on a missions trip when I'm traumatized and (laughs) like grieving uh, because I'm going to serve God while I'm going through this. And he'll definitely sort of finally meet me in this, in this space. And so I went off to YWAM, which is youth with a mission and (laughs) spoiler alert, he did not meet me there. 
Um, it was a. He was on the other flight. Yeah, exactly. It was. He must have been on like the other base. Just wasn't there. Um, and I was with a bunch of people, and I mean this with no uh, malice, but they were all. They didn't have much life experience. They were all very, very sheltered. Um, and they had been for their entire life. And while I had been sheltered in some senses, in the sense of like, the Bible was a history book and anybody that tells you differently is lying. Uh, and they're trying to deceive you, yada, yada. I had not been sheltered to the realities of, of life, right? So I grew up with an um, addict parent. I grew up with abusive parents. Um, I grew up with a lot going on that I was not shielded from. And so going to this place where there's a whole bunch of, of people my age who really haven't had any anything really bad ever happen to them, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure they had bad things happen to them, but like, definitely not at the scope or scale that I had been experiencing in my life up to that point. And so I, I felt like I could not relate to anybody. Um, and, and they have these leaders who you have your sort of like one-on-one -on -one times with, and they're asking you about, you know, how your, whatever life is going, how your walk with God is going. And what I actually needed, and if I had any responsible people in my life whatsoever, uh, was a therapist. Like I needed to be in yeah. therapy. Right. <laughs> and instead I was talking to this girl who's like maybe a year or two older than me and she's grown up on a YWAM base this has been her entire life and has absolutely no idea in the world how to interact with someone who is saying like six months ago, my boyfriend killed himself and like now I'm here. Right. Um, so in any event, I came home from that and I came home early because my grandma also passed away in that time. And I was having an absolutely miserable time there anyway. And I thought to myself, okay, I still haven't had this like emotional meeting interaction I haven't felt anything from God, but I had been so indoctrinated by fear, um, fear of hell, you know, fear of being wrong, that I was worried um, because I had been trained to be worried. So I thought, all right, I'm going to spend some time studying the Bible and like studying it in a real way, not studying it like a Bible study. Like I go to church and, you know, we study. I'm going to take the historical narrative or the narrative that I have been told is historical, and I'm going to go find outside scholarship. And I'm going to see what the consensus is on these events. And, you know, the, one of the problems with the evangelical church is that they have a really, really terrible retention plan. They tell people that if one thing in the Bible is untrue, then basically you can throw the whole thing out then it's all untrue because they're, they believe in inerrancy. It doesn't take very long. It doesn't take very long to figure out that there's at least one thing that's not true. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in fact, there's many. So, and it was about at the same time that I started, um, I, I started at college. I went back to college when I was 23 and I went to a very diverse college. It's, it's small liberal liberal arts all women's college over here in Oakland, and people in the Bay Area are quite liberal, <laughs> and so there was tons of people with different sort of gender identities, different sexualities, coming from vastly different socioeconomic um, situations, and I was having a really hard time trying to 
reconcile this idea that all of these people who were really wonderful people that I was meeting, who were smart and were trying to do good in the world and all of this, how they were all going to go to hell because they were born gay or, or something like that, right? It just, I, I couldn't do it. And so I'm wrestling with that. And I'm then I'm doing all of this scholarly research. And I'm like, none of this like can be verified, or at least very little of it, right? I won't get into you know, all the ins and outs of it uh, now, because I would, I'd be here forever. But I realized that there was nothing from my, I couldn't anchor myself to historical facts of the Bible. And this sort of theology that I had been taught for my entire life was just not, it, I just couldn't make it work anymore. Like the cognitive dissonance in my mind was just too much. Um, and when I took some of this to people that were Christians, not even about the theology, but about like, Nobody thinks that this happened, right? Not nobody like the average person on the street, like nobody like any scholar that spent their entire life studying this thinks that this happened in this way or at this time or at all, right? And I got the same sort of cookie cutter responses because there's only so many ways you can defend something that's indefensible. (laughs) I just was like, I can't make myself believe this anymore. And I don't want to make myself believe this anymore. Yeah, I understand. I, th- I think my favorite uh, inconsistency is probably the exodus of the Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's that's, that's I mean that, that's an, a completely indefensible like uh, position to have that that even happened. Yeah, I mean I I recently had a panel on my on my YouTube channel that had um, Dr. Kara Cooney, who is an Egyptologist out of UCLA, mm-hmm. and Dr. Mark Lukter, who's the head of Jewish studies at Temple University, and then uh, Dr. Joshua Bowen, who wrote the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, Volumes 1 and 2, to discuss the Exodus. And it's just so funny because when you speak to an Egyptologist and you ask them, like, what do you think about the Exodus? And they're like, we don't think about it at all. It's because it's not there. (laughs) Right? It's not there. And, like, you can get into some really interesting stuff when you just get rid of it as a historical, like, hard event that happened. And you can mm-hmm. start talking about like cultural memory or like identity building. Um, especially when you start reading stuff about how it was likely created in like the seventh century BCE. Anyway, again, um, I, I could t- nerd out, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> I really feel, hey, feel free, free to yeah. nerd out as much as you want. We, 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 we do it all the time. All yeah. <laughs> well, so something that like has always sort of bothered me a little bit about like the atheist community Um are the people that that want to say, you know, like, oh, the Bible is just fairy tales. Um, it's incredibly reductive, in my opinion. And it doesn't like it doesn't further any the discourse, <laughs> right? And if you say that to someone who's religious, all you're going to do is alienate them. Um, but also it's just dumb because the Bible <laughs> is is actually really an interesting collection of books that can tell you so much if you're interested, right? I don't think it should be telling you how to live your life, but if you want to learn about a people group over time or you want to learn It's still cultural history. Exactly. Like it, there's so much to it and it's it is actually so fa- I find the Bible way more fascinating now as an atheist, as someone who doesn't believe it at like doesn't believe any of it is really like a historical narrative than I ever did as a Christian because I honestly engage with the texts now. A, a good a good tenth of my TikTok algorithm coming through is is biblical scholars. 
and <laughs> I'm totally atheist. Yeah. And it, it is so, it really is absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm thinking of... Uh, Dan. For example, Dan McKenna. You, you beat me to it. <laughs> he is the, he's like the Bible scholar on TikTok. There's other, there's lots of other really interesting scholars there too. But like, I feel like that's become his niche. Like I, at this point, I, I, I like his video before he's five seconds in at this point. I, I already know I'm going to like whatever he's going to say. Yeah. I'm already in. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I'm applying to grad school um, and I, Dan was kind enough to write one of my letters of recommendation. Oh, too cool. Dan's the man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, uh, what program are you applying to? Um, so I'm applying to, I'm trying, how do I say this? Um, basically it's like the history, history and culture and language um, of the ancient Near East or ancient Southwest Asia sure. is now the term that they're using yeah. for it. Um and so I'm applying to a couple of divinity schools, actually, and then a couple of master's programs uh, that, that focus in on that. Cool. That is very cool. Yeah, that's super interesting stuff. Very interesting. I'm never going to make any money. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> and it better be interesting then. <laughs> exactly. But at least it's interesting. Yeah, uh, my uh, my undergrad is uh, is in archaeology, and that was an area that I was always specifically interested in. And I obviously am not doing that now. I wanted to be an archaeologist. <laughs> But I'm really happy that I learned it all because it's fascinating, and I still read about it, and I'm, I'm, st it's still an area that I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, and like it can tell us so much. I obviously don't. I mean, I sorry, maybe it's not obvious. I, I don't want to be an archaeologist now, but I, it would be impossible <laughs> to do so much of the the scholarly work that people do if we didn't have the archaeologists yeah. doing their work actual physical yeah. evidence uh, from from digs exactly. that uh, that either verify or contradict some of the claims that are made listen it all comes from atlantis uh, we graham hancock already taught yeah. us that we already figured out there's a, there's atlantis or hollow earth maybe i mean it's very clear the the science is there <laughs> the science is there <laughs> The white fish man with the beard that told everybody how to do everything. Yeah, it's like when you say the Bible is clear. I know I'm about to hear some bullshit. Um, like, <laughs> it's clearly a book. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, the Bible is quite literally clear on pretty much nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're bringing up the Exodus. And we're making, I, I'm, you know, making a little well, joke I about did that one, but yeah. Huh? <laughs> What? I did that one, but <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, uh, the the history of Christianity, it seems to me, is is such a core part of what is going on in some of these churches. And again, I'm not; it's not my background either. Uh, like Sean, it's not really uh, uh, my background, but I, I've observed that that getting the narrative down of where this comes from is such an integral part of of the teachings that are going on inside of the churches and the, the culture that is going on there where, I, I mean, we we were, we were talking in another episode about the wall builders and about this idea of in order to have Christian nationalism, you have to have this Christian America. That's always been a Christian America oh, right, from right. the beginning. And it seems like the same thing is going on with this very literal interpretation of the Bible where you have to have, all the facts line up and it's it's 6000 years old and 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 you know all the rest of the stuff that we see. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry, this is a brief aside, but yes, so I was taught that the earth was 6000 years old. Like I was a young earth creationist. 
God help me. Um, and <laughs> the thing is, it's like you, you go back and you like, yes, you were told this is the beginning of the world 6,000 years ago. And this is like the start of history. And it's absolutely insane to me to think about it now, because as someone who spent a lot of time and will spend a lot of time studying the ancient world, everybody knows that like, you don't even have to go back millions of years. Like people existed before 6,000 years ago. Like they, they just did. Like the Sumerians, <laughs> the Akkadians, like there's so many people that, people groups that existed. And that's just going back it's not even going back that far and the information is there. Like it's all there, but the Christians just don't read it. I don't know. They don't want to know. They stick their they heads don't in the it. sand. They it's don't want it. Yeah. They don't, they don't yeah, want it. Like it, it's, yeah. It's bonkers. When, when you were experiencing that, when you were in the church, what was that? What was that like when you were confronted with, uh, were you, were you in public schools or, or was it, so I was in public school for elementary, and then I spent three years doing Christian school. So I've talked about this on my channel before, but I basically, it was independent study. Um, it was something called accelerated Christian education. And you take a bunch of like tests to begin with to see where you fall in each subject. And then you get workbooks and the workbooks are at different levels depending on where you tested into that subject. And you sit in a room with any number of other kids. You have dividers between you and you have a goal for the week of how much you're supposed to get done in each, each workbook. And it's basically just like rote memorization. You read the section, you answer the questions, read the section, answer the questions. And you're teaching yourself effectively because you don't have teachers. So we had a supervisor. You're just in like, it's just, you're like in a testing center almost. Yeah. They, it sounds like. They, they called it a learning center. I'm not really sure how much learning went on there. Um, <laughs> but like you score your own work. Are you familiar with the uh, Advanced Training Institute? I don't. Bill Bill Goddard. Oh. Or Gothard. Yeah. Like the ATI stuff or ATII. No, I don't, um, I don't think so. The only Goddard I know is okay. like a therapist. <clears throat> Well, this one posed as a therapist for a oh, while, God. so. <laughs> but the uh, but the, the advanced training institute. I, I was just I was curious if if you were familiar if like how it compared because they had a whole series of workbooks also, but it's much more of a homeschooling angle. And but otherwise, it is sort of like the the format. And you know, maybe you can say if this is similar or not. The format is to you know talk about some some particular you know, not really controversial idea like linguistics or some aspect of physics or chemistry and then relate it to uh, to a biblical story, mostly New Testament stuff. Yeah. And then and then move on from there and say, like, this is, you know, this is how it, how the Bible talks about this. God. And then, you know, the next part of the book would just move on, you know, kind of systematically from one chunk to the next. Yeah. Uh, talking about these things and all the books had themes. Yeah. But the, but it sounds like what you're talking about is slightly different than yeah, that. Yeah. So basically like I had, I don't remember all the subjects, but it would be math, science, English, social studies, and some kind of Bible, old and new Testament, um, etymology. Those are the ones I remember. Um, Oh, they love etymology. They love etymology. I will say this. That's probably the thing I learned the most. <laughs> That's something that figured into the ATI stuff too. That's what stuck out to me because it was boring as shit. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine. But the thing is, is that like I actually, out of everything I read and studied there, that's probably what stuck with me the most and has actually helped me in some like, in because I I learned, I work to learn languages, right? Like that's, so it, that has helped, but it was so boring. I remember we just had to like look up like hundreds of words in the dictionary and then talk about what the like prefixes meant and the suffixes meant, what's the root word and blah, blah, blah. And at the time I was like, this is just painfully boring, but at least it taught me something. It's like, it's like coming across like the, uh, the, the old Greek guy that owns the restaurant that want that if you pause for a couple of minutes, he'll tell you how every word comes from right. Greek. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely get the impression. And you did say this a bit earlier that, that in that environment, you're really pretty insulator insular where you're, you're, you're not coming into a whole lot of encounters with with contradictory opinions and ideas oh no and you want to hear something wild i love telling people this because it gives them like a <laughs> it gives them a view into like how actually just fucked this was um in my science workbook the proof that they gave for evolution not being true hold on dear butts <laughs> <laughs> was that the loch ness monster existed <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah you can if you Google it, there's like news articles about it. It's like and, it, <laughs> and they said like they said it with their whole chest, with a straight face. Listen, everything is six thousand years old, and evolution is a lie. And here's the evidence: I got Bigfoot. Uh, I got these pictures of Bigfoot. <laughs> Dude, I'm pretty sure my dad really actually thought Bigfoot existed for a while. He's like big into like hunting and fishing, and I'm convinced. Like as soon as he figured out how to use YouTube, like it was just over. Um, now every time I see him, he wants to show me some video of like some guy out running a lion or I don't know, like just some (laughs) random thing happening in the forest. Like (laughs) I don't, okay. Like, (laughs) thanks dad. (laughs) That's, that's how this, this is the gateway into the ancient aliens where, where all of the pyramids are clearly UFO space aliens. I mean, there's there's a Stargate underneath them. It's obvious. It's obviously. obvious. Yeah, obviously. Why can't why can't everyone else see that? Um. So sorry. Also, more to your point. Um, and something that I don't know that gets talked about enough when I'm talking about sort of this school experience was like, yeah, everything they were teaching you was based on the Bible and totally wacky and also like racist at points. Um. And fat phobic and like any number of other just like really terrible things. But like these learning centers and they happen everywhere. Um, There's like no real social interaction. It's very limited. So you show up in the morning, you have your desk, you sit at it, but you have um, dividers between you and the people next to you. And you're working on your own stuff until you get your like 15 minute break. And then all, everybody goes outside for 15 minutes. And then you come back and you sit in dead silence and do your work until your lunch. And then you go to lunch, which I guess, I mean, that's some socialization. But like my entire school, so everybody, youngest to oldest, probably had less than 20 kids. And then you go back from wow. lunch and you sit in silence and you do your own work and then you leave. Um, and that's not developmentally healthy for kids. I've worked in a call <laughs> no, center before. I, I, it's, it's, yeah, hellish. I've worked in a call center. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> um, and like, and the other thing is like, 
if you don't get something, if you don't understand something, you don't actually have a teacher there. You have something called a supervisor who doesn't have to have any qualifications whatsoever. The, the woman that was sure, there for us just was a church elder. And half the yeah. time she was just sleeping um, on her desk. And <laughs> this part's actually kind of funny. We would like wake her up and tell her she fell asleep. And she would t- try to tell us that she was just praying. Um, but like she snored. So I was like, interesting. <laughs> Must be like a new kind of tongues that we're not familiar with. Right. Amazing. Well, I mean, yeah, as far as like God on the other end of that phone line, it's like you you fell it's like falling asleep with the TV and just waking up to static. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like also, you know, you're just relying on these, no offense, but just everyday people to help you with something. So like when I was trying to teach myself algebra, like I didn't have anyone who specialized in teaching algebra. And so like I struggled hard with math until I got to college. Um, But like, it's just so bad in so many ways for kids. I mean, that was actually, that's like, Oh, go ahead. Uh, at, at least the guy at the end of the self checkout is not preying on the job. Right, right. You know, at least you know, he's the, awake and and able to help you help you fix the little screen error there. Yeah, the, the, this person sounds like you know the any schlub off the street. Can, right, can you be conscious for at least two thirds of this? Right, like I don't expect the average person on the street to be able to teach algebra that's why you have an algebra teacher (laughs) like that's why you have an english (laughs) teacher right because the average person on the street is probably not like super great at teaching people how to write like and to expect all of that from one person is just silly and it's also silly to expect kids to be able to teach themselves all of these different things from a book yeah that's that's what i was about to say so when you when you did get into university, I, like what was your experience? Did you feel like that you had a lot of catching up to do? Was, was there a lot of like of extra of extra work that you felt like you had yeah, to do? Yeah. So, so I will say this: I went to a public high school, um, which was was good. Um, but I had, and this is obviously has nothing to do with my middle school years, but I had a really awful math teacher my first year, and like she would run out of the room crying. Um, she would tell us she writes in her diary about how mean we are. Um, and like, if I would ask a question, like, I don't get, I don't, I don't understand. Can you explain? She would quite literally say like, can anybody else in the class explain this to Jessica? Because clearly I'm not doing a good enough job. Like, okay. (laughs) Um, so like, I don't even know how I passed that class. And then when I went to take geometry, that was the next, you know, the next class, um, my teacher just really liked me. Um, and I had talked to him about the experience I had had in algebra before, and he obviously knew this woman. Um, and so he gave us lots of group tests and he put me in groups that he knew would do well. Um, and I passed, um, didn't do particularly well. Uh, and then I took algebra two because I had to, and it was a real struggle 
I went the day before the final exam and was like, I just please, like, I need you to walk me through all of these basic concepts so that I can just like pass this class. And to, to my teacher's defense, she did and I passed. <laughs> but like when I eventually applied to college, I thought at the time I'm going to, I don't know what exactly I'm going to do, but maybe I'll go to law school after this. And so I'll just, I'll ask like, what's the best sort of course for that. And it just so happened that, um, I got assigned as uh, not a supervisor, um, an advisor. There we go. <laughs> that was a professor in the economics department, and sweetest lady on earth. Um, so I went in. She asked kind of what I wanted to do, and I told her. And she said, "Well, you know, you can do this sort of like general track, but have you considered doing economics because you you pretty much study anything and then go to law school, um, and." economics is analytics or analytical. So they, they look, you know, um, it It'll looks really good contribute to them pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I, absolutely not. Like I'm terrible at math. I can't do math. I, I like, I've had years and years and years and years of feeling like I'm just an idiot at this and can't do it. Um, and I had made myself this promise when my ex uh, died that like, I was going to start doing everything that scared me because I just saw how short um, his life was and how you don't, you just, I just, you know, I never saw that coming. I mean, you can't, you can't, right? Um, so I thought like, I'm just going to start doing everything that scares me because like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I understand that idea of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow in a very, very profound way. Um, so... <clears throat> I I told her no at first and she said, well, just think about it. Um, and I went home and had a little chat with myself. <laughs> like, this terrifies you um, and you should do it. So I, I, went, I went back to her and I said, okay, I will try this, um, but I might have to change it. Like, it just might not work. And she's like, just, just try it. So I... Uh, one thing I will say about myself is when I put my mind to something, um, but get out of my way, like, <laughs> you know, get out of my way. Um, so one of the dual features of ADHD, I can, exactly. I can attest, <laughs> yes. either it's not happening or it's totally happening. Right, exactly. I'm going to be like, I'm never going to think about this again, or I'm going to be the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my first semester I had to take statistics and I was scared. But I buckled down and I spent a lot of time in my professor's office hours. And um, kudos to him because that man taught me more math than all of my high school teachers combined, probably. Um, and I just worked really, really hard at it. I spent a lot of time on my own working through, I, I bought like pre-algebra and algebra books from like Amazon and just worked through problems over and over and over and over until like I had a pretty good understanding, at least of how it functioned in that realm in statistics. Um, and so this is a, uh, not a humble brag. It's just a brag. Um, I graduated, <laughs> right? I, I passed, the passed the class. I finished that semester with the second highest score across all sections in, in stats. Um, and I cried when I found that out because like the way that I had just thought I was dumb for years, like I just thought I was dumb. 
um, at least in that arena, right? Like I could write pretty well and I was good at like other things, but I just thought I was just stupid at math. And that professor, that same professor, um, actually invited me to do an internship the next semester as a, as a like a research assistant for um, th- this other class I had to take called econometrics, which is kind of like business forecasting, so collecting data, building statistical models um, in different, like there's different programs and then interpreting that data on the other end. Um, and I actually got paid to do that for that semester. Um, and then I went on and, you know, I just, I just buckled down and learned what I needed to learn for each class after that. And I was really fortunate because at a school that's a smaller school, um, you have a lot more access to your professors. And so like they were all just amazing and wanted me to succeed. And I actually ended up like TAing for statistics um, and and peer tutoring for statistics. And like, I, I loved it. That's awesome. Part of the plot of Yes Man with Jim Carrey is turning into this whole career life path where you're, you're, you're diving in and saying, all right, I, I want to say no, but I got to say yes, let's do it. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. And it was honestly one of the best choices I've ever made. Um, it's not something I do a ton with anymore just because it's not, you know, whatever. But it has given me a framework for like really understanding the world around me and not just blindly accepting when people give you numbers about something. Uh, because statistics really can be used to say whatever you want if you don't have an understanding of like the underlying process. Um, so it, it, yeah, no matter what, it will be useful to me for the rest of my life. That is phenomenal. Yeah, the amount of times that I come across some news article that says 67% of people do this or say this or think this, I'm like, that is, that sounds very, very it's a bold dubious. Claim, buddy. Let's like, let's <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Let's see your work. Let's see the math. Yeah, I'm like, how'd you get here? Seven percent of what people? Like, how big is the <laughs> yeah. sample size? Right? What's your confidence well, interval? Turns out you're just is, asking. Sixty-seven like, percent of my roommates <laughs> is really their sample <laughs> size. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your in is seven uh, people. Yeah. <laughs> and they all they all volunteered. <laughs> Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're you're uh, doing a. Let me rephrase that. You're doing a pretty interesting sounding conference. You're one of the speakers oh, at yes. uh, Decon 2023 this yes, upcoming week, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, it looks really, really, really cool. Um, could you could you tell us about that and tell us about what you're what you're gonna I don't know if it's the spoiler to, to talk about what you're oh, going to no, talk about, but to. just, just, just tell us everything. Tell it all. Yeah. So it's called Decon 2023. Um, last year was the first year that it was put on. Uh, the guy who has been putting it on, his username is John Doe Nobody. Um, and <laughs> effectively, the reason for this conference is because deconstructing is really, really lonely because for most folks when you grow up in this very insular environment and then you leave everybody around you, their love that your community was conditional upon you holding these beliefs. And while people might not, I mean, some religions or some sects certainly will outright shun you. Mine wasn't that they shunned me. It's just, they stopped talking to me. Right. Like, 
And that's really, really hard um, because you go from having a community of people to having nobody and a community of people that are actually like in a really weird way, hoping that like your life will suck so that you'll come back. And I'm not joking at all. Like I very much remember people praying like before I left praying for other people that like, you know, basically God would do some horrible thing in their life so that these people would then come back, you know, to religion, which is just incredibly toxic. You can see the wish there that's built in that, they, if they, if this person leaves and suffers in like after after leaving the community, then it's going to reaffirm my decision to be to remain within the exactly. community. Exactly. Yeah. And and they're really there. So that whole wish for somebody else's suffering is really a wish to have some proof of you know to to validate my own my own decisions. Yeah. Well, and and some of it too. Um, and again, not everyone is taught this, but. I certainly was, was that like, if you have the opportunity to witness or evangelize to someone and you don't, and they end up going to hell, um, their blood is on your hands, whatever the hell that means. Um, and, and how would you even know they went to hell? Right, exactly. I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. well, this, yeah, I, I got this. the facts the other day. They, it's yeah. coming up. <laughs> they really attribute so much power to Satan. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and I did have someone on the internet call me the last daughter of Satan. And I was like, that's kind of metal. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> hell yeah. Like, did I kill the other ones? Was this like a Hunger game? You might want to think about just even even just changing the brand at that point. Because <laughs> last daughter of Satan, I mean, that's like neck and neck with Queen oh, of the right. Heathens. I, was like, I, mean, I mean, like, I mean, Bob Larson is going to be on this band in a minute. <laughs> I, t- I took out all of my siblings. I'm coming for you, Satan. Like, I'm taking over. <laughs> I am the strongest. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be the next, uh, I don't know. Did you guys watch Sandman? Yes, I no. did. The, the Neil Gaiman? Is that Neil Gaiman, the, mm-hmm. the Netflix one? So good. Oh, I, it's on my I'm to-do. not even a comic book person at all. And I watched it. And I, I, I was in Hawaii when I watched it. I binged it. I sat inside and binged it all day because it was so good. But anyway, sorry. Let me get back on topic. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so it's very lonely. And this was exacerbated even more because of the pandemic for folks. So um, not only are you reeling because like you don't even you can't really even go anywhere else. And now your community has also sort of abandoned you or is actively praying for something like harmful to happen to you. Um, And you're wrestling with (laughs) all of this stuff. Right. Because like my my way out was my way out. It's often not folks's way out. Usually people don't reason themselves out of something they reason. They didn't reason themselves into. You did the whole tour and then exited through the gift shop. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've was seen so it all. Complete. No, I've seen it all. Um, I will not be buying any souvenirs. Thank you. Uh, the only souvenir <laughs> I have is trauma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, th- I think what you're saying is like is is there's a lot to that because you know the they didn't think themselves into that into participation in the right. in these groups and to get out by that route is incredibly unlikely. Yes. You know, and I mean, most people don't actually leave. Right. You know, the I mean, they 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 stay there their entire lives and just keep doubling well, this down. This is why apologetics exist. Apologetics don't exactly. exist to convince atheists that the Bible is true. Apologetics exist to give something to Christians just enough intellectual cover um, that they can hold on to so that their cognitive dissonance doesn't get too strong. 
you know, but like apologetics and, and, never, uh, it's never wins anyone over to being a Christian, right? It's all playing to the base. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've, this is certainly not um, like a unique quote to me, but I don't remember where I heard it, but it's, it's very rare that you find anyone converting to religion when they're doing exceptionally well. They usually convert to religion when they're not doing well, when they need something external to provide answers or hope or community or whatever. Um, but it's very rare when someone's doing super well that someone shows up at their door and they're like, oh my God, you're so right. Like, I need Jesus. <laughs> I'm so glad you came today I on your bicycle. I think it's the first episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the pilot episode of Black Books where uh, the the lead character is is trying to avoid doing his taxes. And so he folds all of his laundry and, and puts away his socks and he calls his mother who he never wants to talk to. And then, uh, and then some evangelicals knock at the door and say, would you like to talk to Jesus? And he says, yes, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like when people come to my door now, though, because... I ruined their day. Um, <laughs> they're like, do you want to talk about the Bible? I'm like, do you come into my library? I'm not at all being glib when I say this, but what you were saying about like people, people converting to religion and, and they don't do it when they're having, when things are going well, you can say exactly the same thing about drug addiction. Right. Like they, like nobody, nobody starts heavily using drugs when things are good in their life. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that there's, there, it's something there, there is an escapist at it, like aspect to this too, that it's not, it's not simply trying to find answers to all these problems, but it's, it's just sort of convincing myself that there are answers, right. even, you know, because a lot of times there aren't answers and it becomes a distraction to sort of fantasize that there yeah. are. And I mean, that's the, that's one of the things that a lot of people say that they miss after they leave is, is the certainty like I knew everything mm -hmm. then, right? Like there it. was no mysteries in the universe left. Like we had it all down pat. It's here in this book. And like, that's great. Um, because to go through life and lose people um, and experience things and not be able to say something like, well, God has a plan, right? And I'm going to see these people later. That's a hard thing to work through. And it requires a lot of introspection and a lot of wrestling with things that we really don't know and learning to come to terms with those things. And it's hard. It's really hard, you know, like, and it's something people talk to me a lot about because I've experienced a pretty decent amount of death in my life is like something I'm having a hard time letting go of, or they, they'll say this to me is this idea that I get, can see my grandma again, or I can see this person that I love again. And there's not an easy answer. Like, I can't give them an easy answer. And, and it sucks. And nobody can. Yeah. Yeah. They can say you, there's an easy answer that, yes, of course, you can see your lo your loved one again. Right. Yeah, yeah. But they, they, they're just saying Exactly. It. You know, they can't really – they can't sincerely give that yeah, answer. Exactly. So we, Jules and I both uh, conspired to drag you uh, off to, off the uh, the question that he asked a minute ago. It's so <laughs> easy for me to do because I like talking about this stuff. But the, uh, because we, both of us are prone to tangents. Uh, but the uh, – but what you're – what you uh, – I, I really do want to hear more sure. about like how you got involved with, with decon and this kind of community approach to, to deconstructing. Yeah. And I'm actually maybe interested in um maybe a little more foundational, like what, what exactly is that? Like, like if you could describe like the, like, what is this like a project of, of deconstruction? Oh yeah. So basically <laughs> 
basically it could be anything you want. I I think that's something like no one has a really like down pat answer like, oh, this is what it is. When I was going through my sort of exit from the church, this was like 10 years ago, um, I just called it deconverting, right? I converted, now I'm deconverting. Uh, but nobody was talking about it then. Like nobody really cared about the stuff I was reading or finding out. And why would they? They had no skin in the game. Um, so this interesting thing started to happen where a lot of people were leaving the church or leaving religion sort of at the start or middle of the pandemic because they weren't going to church. They were spending more time reading or online or doing whatever, more time to think. (laughs) I wouldn't want that. (laughs) And so I don't know exactly sort of when it started. I got on TikTok uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago now. I can't remember exactly. And I didn't get on for Deacon. I had no idea this was happening. None whatsoever. <laughs> um, and I got on because my I have four little sisters and they were pestering me to get on to like be able to watch videos or, or whatever. And I was like, I'm old. Like, I don't understand this. Like, isn't this just Instagram? Like, what is, I don't, it's just a knockoff fine. <laughs> um, so I got on and for a while, I just didn't really do anything with it. And I honestly don't remember exactly how I came across someone's video. And it was about Christianity and then some faucet of it that, you know, we think we're told that this is true, but actually here's the historical data or whatever. And then I clicked one of the hashtags because I was curious because this is right up my alley. It's something that I'm interested in. And there was all of these videos that were hashtagged exvangelical or deconstruction. And that of course grabbed me because like the other thing is that it was also very lonely after I left because I'm processing all of these really sort of traumatic events and also just like church trauma alone because nobody else has been going through it with me. Nobody else left. And the other people in my life have really no idea like what I'm talking about because they're new people in my life. Um, And so I saw that there's all these people that are asking some of the questions that I asked when I was leaving the church um, and also talking a lot about religious trauma and like really reaching out, trying to create a community in the midst of losing their community and also the pandemic. Um, Kick a person while they're down. Really Exactly. (laughs) So really like deconstruction, I don't have a great answer for like what is it exactly but it's it's kind of been used as an umbrella term for the process of questioning your beliefs and oftentimes deconstructing those beliefs and then when you do that sort of finding your way out of this very high demand fundamentalist religion and it doesn't have to just be christianity although that is sort of like the circle that i'm in because obviously um and you know, the term deconstruction I, it comes from, I'm totally blanking on this guy's name, um, Derrida, I think. Jacques yes. Derrida, uh, yeah. I, I was actually curious if it was, if it was, uh, if there was a common source for that term or if it was a separate so source. So I think like people started using it and act- did not have any idea that it was related to, 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 to Jacques Derrida. Um, but it recently became more of a talked about thing. People saying like, okay, this, this sort of process has been described and there's also a next step called reconstruction, right? That doesn't mean that you reconstruct your religious beliefs, although it might. Um, I've known people that have gone from very fundamentalist Christians to very progressive Christians and there's a process for that, but you just have to also reconstruct 
what you believe now about the world around you. Reconstruct your value system, reconstruct your morals, because they're no longer based on this religion. Um, so generally speaking, when we say deconstruction, what I think most people mean is that process of questioning your beliefs, breaking them down, oftentimes leaving or changing your religion in some way, um, and then sort of rebuilding all of that other stuff. Um, and so last year they did this conference. Um, it's, I, I didn't speak last year, but it seemed like it was a big hit. For those that don't know me, um, after I started posting videos about like the Bible and Christianity and my experience um, and like reading church signs, my account exploded. And so, um, so I have a relatively large following on, on TikTok and I've started um, interviewing a lot of these scholars whose books and works I read that helped me leave the church for my YouTube channel. So I do lots of longer form interviews over there. Um, and so I was asked this year to speak and I get to speak about whatever I want. <laughs> um, and so what I'm actually speaking on is this idea that we can leave fundamentalist religion uh, or we can deconstruct, you know, fundamentalist religion, but that doesn't mean that fundamentalist thinking has left us. So something you will see a lot in, maybe not a lot, but Hallelujah. you will see relatively frequently um, in like atheist circles, agnostic circles, whatever, is that someone uh -huh. will have left their religion and they, you know, they don't believe the Bible anymore, but like they'll still be incredibly misogynistic or they'll still be incredibly like queer phobic um, or they'll still be incredibly like racist in some ways and or in lots of ways. And so they've done, so they think they've deconstructed, right? But like, there's still these very binary ways of thinking that are incredibly harmful and toxic to a lot of people. And so I'm going to be talking primarily about the ways in which misogyny um, continues to exist after you leave the church and often how it's rooted in these beliefs. One, because the Bible uses women largely as sort of, um, lessons for male characters arc. And oftentimes it's violent and oftentimes it's traumatic and no one ever really questions it, right? Like that's what you're taught in the church. Very much women are here to be sort of helpmates to men. Um, and we don't question how they're talked about in the Bible. I mean, we have like a woman that's like cut up into pieces and, you know, sent out to the 12 tribes. And we have like Lot saying, no, you can't rape these angels, but you can like definitely rape my daughters. That's fine. Like, and yeah. nobody, how about my like, kids? nobody thinks about it. No <laughs> one asks about it. No one talks about it. Um, and so how those beliefs, if we don't question them and sort of deconstruct those things, um, how we really haven't left fundamentalism, we've just left religion. And so I'm going to also be talking about the ways in which our sort of oppressive patriarchal system that exists here today um, has a lot of really negative impacts on men and how men are also victimized in this system. Um, and in doing that, how sorry, I'm not being concise at all because this is you're in good I'm company. Like, no, 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 you're, 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 you're just the right amount of words. No, no, as far you're, as I'm you're, you're doing, you're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're doing absolutely, absolutely fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
So like one thing that I've been talking about a lot that I will talk about in this presentation is the way that we socialize boys and the way that we socialize girls. And I was going to bring that up because you had a tweet about this that really was was really which interesting. Which is gone now. And, talk about yeah, that's getting I, which is unfortunately gone, gone. Are you back? But I have a new well, I still have access to them and I also have a new account. Um, and I've okay. already made like five Christians mad and I've had it for like 24 hours. So I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> All which, right. So, so yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to derail, but I did want to point out that this this was a tweet that had gotten a lot of attention. And may, maybe you could just say specifically what you mentioned in that tweet that got so, pe- so many people so worked I, up or specifically Christian men yeah, worked up. Yeah, I think if it's the one I'm thinking of um, – there's a book that I'm reading by Terrence Real. It's called I Don't Want to Talk About It and explores the um, sort of hidden epidemic of depression in men. And that's the one. He talks about how young boys are socialized, I guess for some, for some background. This man is a therapist, a psychologist who works exclusively with boys and men and has for the last like 30 years. So that's his where he's basing this from. Um, but when you ask men to define masculinity, or even if you ask boys what it means to like be a man, they answer in a lot of double negatives. Um, so instead of saying something like it means being strong, they'll say it's not being weak, right? Um, or instead of saying like it means being independent, they'll say it means not like relying on other people. It means not being dependent. And something that I've always seen um, is that oftentimes boys are – not socialized to be something they're socialized to not be other things and oftentimes that other thing is just feminine it's just women it's girls don't be girly right i'm not going to tell you what to be but don't be weak because that's that's girly don't be emotional unless it's anger because that's girly um don't you know don't do this don't do that and like all of these insults that young boys lob at each other the worst thing you can tell a boy when they're little is that they're behaving like a girl right um, or a sissy, or a pussy, yeah. or like all of these pejorative terms that are gendered, that are female. And like if you, when I was like when I was younger, and even now, if you told me like like oh my god, you're acting like a boy, like okay, like what do I care? I don't hate <laughs> men, so like that's fine. I, okay. Well, and what even is that? Because what you're describing too about the uh, the the ways that boys are defining themselves right. by what they're not rather than what they are, the thing that they're 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 trying to uh, separate themselves from, or the characteristics they're trying to separate themselves Sorry, from, go ahead. Go ahead. are stereotypical characteristics in the first place, right? I mean, where 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 does the idea of girls being you know dependent or weak right. or something like that come from? If not from you know the same sort of you know the same like muddy pool that the rest of the right, is, is coming it, it's out all of. rooted in again this patriarchal socialization, all of it. Because if you take any any trait whatsoever, it doesn't matter what it is, and then explain to me why specifically that is a masculine or feminine trait, you can't do it. <laughs> you should do it. No, you cannot. In in our in our episode, fascists want to raid your closet. We we talk a little bit about how yep. the blue and the pink yeah. colors were flipped, not even a century ago, as being masculine and feminine. Oh right, and I absolutely love when people are like, "Men shouldn't wear dresses." I'm like, "Buddy, what do you think your savior walked around in?" Because right, like, I mean, the guy was wearing like robes. He was going suit. commando the entire time. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard for people to see because this this system, the socialization, the patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, it's 
all around us all the time. And so it's like water and we're all swimming in the water and we're trying to see the water, right? So unless you're like very specifically aware of what's going on and like trying to actively see it, you're never going to see it. Um, And I had this really interesting response because I put, all I did was underline this section in the book and put it out to Twitter. And I said, I want to hear men's thoughts on this. That's it. Um, And I got a lot of really interesting responses that sort of fell into a couple of categories. And one of those categories was people, this was the, this was the small category that said like, yeah, that's right. Um, And then I had a bigger group that said like, that sounds right. But like, I can't relate because I was raised um, either by all women or in a queer household or something like that. Um, And then I had people that were like angry (laughs) who were like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Um, You know, this is bullshit. Like this isn't how it is. What, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, And as a woman who was obviously raised as a girl and socialized next to boys, that is spot on. Like what this man said is exactly right. I I 100% agree. That's been my experience as being raised a boy was that that's that's exactly that's it. all I've known. And it doesn't even it's not even just inside the household. It's in school, it's with relatives, friends, parents, friends. Right. And that's what I said is that socialization doesn't just take place in the home. Like we're all being socialized all the time by media, by other people, by our teachers, by, you know, just friends. And something that he talks about in the book too is like he was actively working to raise his sons in an environment where they were not being told like they were not being given this really toxic definition of masculinity and then, you know, trying to be it. So, but then you said they had friends over and his son was going through this stage where he just really liked Barbies and he wanted to show his friends his Barbies. And the other kid was a boy, didn't even say anything, but just the look he gave him was like, so, I don't know, like disappointed or just like, that's weird or like, what is wrong with you? And that shame that was communicated, that's socialization too. And it's coming from your peers and that is powerful. And so like, I think when people say, and in this case it's men, but you know, we could be talking about anything with women, um, that, you know, I can't relate to that. It's just a way of distancing from it because you absolutely can relate to it if you grew up in the United States, like, (laughs) that's like, you know, and I had people really want to argue with me about like, well, what's this man's like sample size and like, and it's just like, it you know, there's this interesting study from the University of Chicago that talks about like the overperformance of gender and or of masculinity. I, th- I think it was masculinity or gender. But they talk about how when um, in this study, when you challenged a man's sort of masculinity, like he just doubled down and did these like sort of grandiose kind of displays, right? Like all of a sudden, I forget the questions they asked, but one of them was like, they became more likely to want to buy giant SUVs. Um, and like all of this stuff, it's just like, that was like one of the funnier like ones, but there was like they, a whole- they, they, leave, they leave and go gun right, shopping. Right, exactly. Like they're more likely to like, want to talk about guns. It was just like, because, so in, in me saying like, because I was like, well, I didn't really threaten their masculinity, but I realized that in like putting that out there and implying that the way that men or boys are socialized is harmful to them- And in turn, they've almost certainly done harm to other people because of it. It threatened this idea of who they were as like, I'm a good man, right? 
and I didn't mean it that way. We've all done harm to people, right? Um, woman, man, whoever. But it was an interesting response. And so, um, yeah, so I'll be talking with, like about that sort of socialization, how it harms men, how we require young boys to, um, as rites of passage in manhood or for manhood or to be what society deems masculine, we require them to commit acts of psychological, emotional, and physical violence um, against themselves and against other people. And it disconnects them and disassociates them from their own feelings, um, from their own humanity a lot of the time. And thus it makes connecting in a real way when they're older incredibly difficult um, and it's not their fault. It's how they were conditioned, right? It is their responsibility to then unpack that. But like this very, like this, this socialization that comes from this system is incredibly harmful to men. And of course, incredibly harmful to women. But I think it's until we start talking about both of those things and actually giving people some tools to start unpacking that, like it can feel very hopeless. Um, but I mean, as I'm sure most people have guessed by now, like, yeah, I probably identify myself as a feminist here, but like feminism isn't just about women. Like it's about creating a healthier society for all of us. And the only way to do that is to undo this system that's harming everybody. Um, and like reimagining this sort of ideology of power being about domination and instead creating a sort of, as Celestine Ware says, a more radical um, approach where power isn't about domination. It's about dismantling harmful systems. It's about helping other people. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of talking about like from fundamentalism to freedom, because until we start doing all of that, that actively doing that work, um, we're all suffering <laughs> under this system, right? And we have to push back on that sort of cultural and societal narrative that tells us that like, this is the natural order of things and this is the way it should be. Um, because of one thing I've learned from being vocal about a lot of this stuff is that like this idea that like male influencers have about what women want is not what a lot of women want. <laughs> Are you saying Andrew Tate doesn't know what women want? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I know. Do I need to cancel my subscription to Hustlers I know. University? <laughs> but like, but really, like, sincerely, like the number of people that want to tell me like what Jordan Peterson says, like, brother, I do not care. <laughs> like, I cannot tell you how little I care about anything that man has to say. Um, Step one: get a lobster. Step two. Yeah, like just, <laughs> as soon as someone says it, I'm like, ooh, gotta go. Um, right, they, 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 we're, we're dealing with the sort of like the, the trickling out of all the things he realized when he was chained to the wall in that clinic in Romania or wherever he was. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah, like it's I'm just, getting the impression here that the Bible might not pass the Bechtel test. No. <laughs> Can't say that it does. I, that's the thing too, right? If you're already growing up in this very oppressive like power structure, which we all are here, um, and then you're sort of doubly, I don't, I don't want to say doubly oppressed, but like doubly indoctrinated into this because you're basing all of your morality off of a book, 66 books that are actually not univocal, that you're trying to make univocal, and that were written thousands of years ago when this system was worse. And hundreds of years apart from one another too. Exactly. Like it's, it's, 
you're going to have a bad time and you're really going to have to unpack that once you leave. And, and, and because most of us also grew up in purity culture, right? And so we have these very puritanical ideas about sex and sexuality and there's a lot of shame that's attached to it in the church. And like, you have to unpack all of these things that are all connected and you might leave religion, but those very toxic mental beliefs, structures, values, whatever are still there. They're still deeply rooted. And like, you're never going to leave fundamentalism actually until you start picking those apart. In Northern Syria, Kurdish, Kurdish revolutionaries, in, in uh, what's called Rojava or, or Western Kurdistan. Uh, they, they are inspired by the works of Abdullah Ocalan um, and, and others too. I mean, uh, uh, another, another thinker is Dilar Dirik. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the name. Uh, but uh, uh, there's this idea. Uh, he, he talked about uh, genealogy which basically is the, the study of women. And, and his whole notion is that it has to go all the way back to, uh, uh, through epistemology and through, through our understanding of how we know what we know uh, and, and, and reimagining and rethinking about the very basis of knowledge itself from the premise that throughout history, women have been oppressed in nearly every culture uh, for for thousands of years. And from that basis, knowledge itself needs to be re-understood because it's through a lens already of patriarchy. Uh, He he talks about this phrase that that goes something like, uh, 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 kill the man inside. And uh, you said in one of your in one of your TikToks, or, or 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 maybe it was on Instagram, something like the only men who have a problem with saying something negative, like men do this and it's terrible, uh, and and they come at they come at you with not all men, and then exactly epitomize that exact thing. And I say, yeah, not all men, but definitely you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And and the, and the men who don't have a problem with those statements are typically the it ones who yield. are actively considering how they view the world and how they're getting their information and how they know what is reality itself. And it's through that lens. That's how we're socialized. So I've been really fortunate to make these connections with people in the atheist community and oftentimes with people that have really large platforms in this community and lots of fans. And these people all agree with me. And then they're like, fanboys are so upset about what I'm saying. And I'm like, your idols agree with me. <laughs> like, I just want you to give that some thought, wrestle with that a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not that I care so much about being right. Um, but like, it is this nice. Isn't something, it is nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, this isn't some petty like thing where I just want to be right. And I'm trying to say like, your idols agree with me. This is actually something that really impacts all of us in a really big way. You, what you were saying about purity culture too, and you know this idea of fundamentalist thinking. I mean, like purity right. culture is essentially a fascistic thing on its own. I mean, that, that's something that is that's got a common feature of right. pretty much every manifestation of fascism is purity culture. That there's some there there's a right and a wrong way to do things, and, and pure and an impure way, and so on. But this idea of fundamentalist, fundamentalist thinking, though. People, you know, like me, I, I, I have adjacent experiences with, with churches and, you know, in, in a general sort of way. 
I never, I never was a member mm-hmm. of a congregation as a child. My family didn't go to church, mm. but my grandmother was a Seventh Day Adventist, and and then I had, you know, I had sort of religious sort of influences on the other side of the family also, from from grand from my grandmother, other grandmother. So I didn't have this direct experience, but something that I noticed is that the, and maybe it was, um, I had I had a better shot at noticing this as a child than people who grew up in the church and were surrounded by it all the time. Because like you mentioned, you know, right. the, the, you know, being like water, or, you know, like being like the air around us, the, um, I mean, that, that expression is like the, uh, you know, the, the last thing that a fish would be able to identify about right. its environment yeah, yeah, yeah. would be the water. And, you know, the, and it's, and so when we're surrounded by this stuff all the time, we tend to really not notice it, but I was just, I was just hit with it every once in a while. And what I noticed was, so it stood out to me, but what I noticed is that it's not just in the church environment, you know, the, because we, we, the, the Christian nationalists are, they're right. not totally wrong when they call the U S a Christian nation. It's not a Christian nation the way they describe it. And because it doesn't adhere to the tenets of Christianity, but right. we are immersed in all of these Christian ideas, which are this, right. you know, this fundamentally binary way of looking at things. And that is everywhere around us. And and so even if somebody who hasn't, you know, even if somebody doesn't have a strong uh, religious background, they still have this stuff in them. You right. know, and I can say that confidently because I have it inside of me. I find it all the time. Yeah. I find things like this inside of me all the time. And I'm not special, you know, so I know that it's everywhere. You know, the uh, like because I hear it in other other way people and the way that others talk and yeah. the way that they they think about things. I see the same stuff. And I think that we really we need to take on. I mean, I, I think when you know, when as I've been learning about deconstruction, the way you described it, this really seems like we it's something that it it needs to be taken on by enough people to create sort of a swell, you know, where where we're reevaluating in a large way the individually and collectively how we see the this right. the the, yeah. the society that we live in now yeah. because we've built all this with these ideas we've built all these structures we've built this economy we've built our political right. systems with these ideas and if we hope to change any of that we, i think we really do have to address things at that at that that baseline level yeah absolutely something that i talk to a lot of people about um and this often relates uh, generally to sex or sexuality. Because when you talk about purity culture, that's what it was for most of us, right? We were grown up taught that we needed to not have sex before marriage, don't do anything sexually impure, um, all of that stuff. And so when people leave, they have a lot of shame around all of that. But the, the same thing that I, I talk to these people about um, can really be applied to almost anything. And what I ask them if they're feeling shame about, I don't know, say um, some some sexual act, like I'll ask them why why do they think that act has some intrinsic moral value? Like why is there a value judgment associated with that, right? Um, and I've said this bef- before, and people kind of look at me like weird. Like sex in and of itself is neutral, right? It's normal human behavior. It's neither good nor bad. 
It just is. Now, can it be good? Can it be bad? Sure, absolutely. I've and there's lots of things sex. that will go into yeah. that. But in and of itself, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, relatable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, God, sorry, I'll, I'll keep this brief, but that's sort of something I've also been talking about on my channel with people um, is like so many women I know that. Like just basically are like oh, yeah we're just not having sex with guys anymore like I just, 2023 just not, no more sex with guys it. and exactly like I'm just not doing that um because they've had so many negative experiences and so like I made this video and I was mentioning some of this and talking about how like you know some of the reasons that women don't do this is one like um if we say we didn't like something like men lose their marbles and like I mean I had women say they got hit like. The person you're sleeping with hit you because you said something didn't work for you or like men that will say like, well, like someone said that they're the person they slept with said like, they'll, you'll Jesus. get used to it. Oh, so to speak. You're going to get used to like that front door. Um, yeah. So like all of this stuff and like the number of men I had in my comments that were like, you don't know what you're talking about. Me, a woman doesn't know what I'm talking about. Like read the comments. Not one single woman disagreed with me, not one. And there's thousands of comments. Well, and you're talking about your own experience too. So it's like, it's it, that's the right. thing that a person knows the most about right. is and that like, subjective experience. <laughs> Listen, according to all the surveys that I've given out after sex. <laughs> <laughs> Been collecting really, data for years, you're like, anomaly. Like, you're wrong, you're totally off base. Well, I mean, with with such with such uh, great teachers as Jordan Peterson, I don't understand I know, uh, how they how sincerely. they would really get it wrong. Yeah, but sorry. So to kind of go back, like you can apply this to all sorts of things where you can say, like, why do I think this is good? Why do I think this is bad? Why do I think this is male? Why do I think this is female? Like, what is driving this? And oftentimes, like, you'll you'll find that the only reason that you think something is some way is just because you've been told that your whole life. Um, you have been conditioned, as all of us have, to believe certain things or think certain things. And it's our job to unpack those things, right? So like I said about like what makes something inherently gendered, nothing, nothing. Like, <laughs> it's like saying a t-shirt is inherently gendered. Like, why? There's no reason. Um, and so that's something that I, I talk to a lot with people again about like uh, purity culture stuff. Cause it'll be like, why do you feel bad about this? Is it because you actually think you did something wrong? And if you do, why do you think it's wrong? Right? Like, and it gets a bit philosophical at times. I, I understand, but like really it's working backwards to say like, Oh, I feel this way because I was raised in, let's say a high demand religion that told me that this was wrong, that told me I should feel bad about my body or about normal human like relationships or, or actions um, that told me like, you know, if I basically I lose worth if I have sex. Right. And you see these concepts come up, um, especially in these like grifters that are trying to, you know, sell men a bridge um, where they talk about like body count and how like, if you have a high body count, like you're uh, somehow less, like a less valuable like woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but the only body count I have that, is my tatism. basement. No, um, like, <laughs> that's all I'm offering you. Um, but it's just like, so you see these sort this sort of crossover, right? Like I'm sure he wouldn't say like, this is rooted in purity culture. It's rooted in sexism and misogyny, but so is purity culture. So like you see these crossovers where like a woman's worth or a man's worth is like, 
sort of whittled down to this very specific thing. And like all of it is rooted in this very puritanical understanding of morality um, where they wanted to use sort of the sexual politic to, to control. And so they made all these laws and this is bad and this is awful. And oftentimes those were rooted in the Bible. And then like, we've just accepted this as we've gone along. Um, but like really asking, like, where do we get these value judgments from? Why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? Um, it seems simple, but like, it is incredibly powerful because you, you soon start seeing how much of what you've just taken as reality or truth is just a product of what you've been conditioned to believe. And this isn't like some weird simulation, like matrix thing, right? It's just like, we're all conditioned in very specific ways. And like, we don't have to stay that way. Yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason. I And uh, so just to make sure we, we make a point of saying it, uh, Decon 2023 is coming up on Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd, I believe. Yes, and you can buy tickets. I believe they're $20 um, on the website, and you can pretty much buy them up until, I think, Friday. Um don't quote me on that, but yeah. And there's a bunch of different speakers speaking on a really wide variety of topics, which you can find on the website. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, it looks for really it. cool. And not just for speaking, but for like talking to people and there's breakout groups. Um, and so you'll find this sort of community that maybe you were lacking. You'll get to talk to some of your favorite creators because there's a lot of us there. Um, and like, Hopefully you'll feel a little less alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's so. it sounds like a really brilliant idea, especially considering literally everything you just told us about <laughs> about how this this sense of isolation not only drives uh, people to stay in toxic communities or toxic environments, but also encourages them to feel alienated uh, and and possibly even want to revert and go back and you know all sorts of other things that if you had a community where it's it's other people who are experiencing the same thing then uh i imagine that that would be a huge step forward and i can't imagine and you know other than maybe joining the ska scene uh, a better community that (laughs) that would really be able to help with deconstruction and ska scene, just because they've got lots of trumpets. I mean, you trumpets. can bring your trumpet over here if you want. <laughs> <laughs> what we were saying about the uh, the attractiveness of having easy answers inside of a right. inside of a religious community, and that that's the thing that people miss. There 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 are no easy answers to be found really anywhere. But having a right. community makes it a lot easier to live with not having them. And it makes it a lot yeah. easier to find the, the the harder answers as well, and and that's I think that that's that's really where we need to go. We need to we need to start leaning more into each other like that because in yeah. isolation we we all tend to sort of fester and grow into these misshapen forms. Yeah, and you know I really I think obviously all of this you know all the lockdown and isolation during COVID. I really do think it has inspired a lot of the nastier stuff that we've seen come out in the last couple of years. Yeah. I don't know if it would have happened in the same sort of way or at such speed without the lockdowns and shelter in place orders. 
people can get themselves to really, if you're just, how do I say this? <laughs> if you're just sitting at home on the internet, you could probably convince yourself of anything. And if you are already feeling victimized for some reason, whatever that reason happens to be, you will find all the affirmations you could ever need on the internet that you are the victim. And once you start down that path, it's a really powerful thing to think that like, you know, your this your position in life or what you believe is valid, um, or actually it's not your fault that like, whatever, you know, that you lost your job. Uh, it's actually the government conspiracy, right? Um, or just illegal immigrants. Right, exactly. Which is like, I'm not even going to get started on that. Um, we'll be here all day. But um, it, yeah, it's super easy to go down that path, especially when you don't have anybody saying like, well, what about this? Right. Or what about that? Um, and you essentially can brainwash yourself um, into any number of like things. Uh, and, you know, like when people ask me, well, if you don't believe in you know, Christianity anymore. Like, what do you believe in? Like, my answer is always the same. Like, I believe in other people. Like, I, that's, I don't know what comes after this, but I know what's here right now. And like, I know that there's things I can do to make life better for those around me right now. And I know there's experiences that I can have with other people right now. And it sounds kind of simplistic, but like, if I'm operating under the assumption that I have no idea what comes next and there's about as good a chance as it being absolutely nothing as anything else, why wouldn't I throw myself wholeheartedly into this life and into all the experiences that I can have and that it has to offer and all of the people that I can love and that can love me? Why wouldn't I do that, right? And why wouldn't I try to create that world for other people, however they want to interact with it? As far as I know, I didn't get a gift receipt on this life. Not even, not even. I mean, I hope not, dude. I just want to go to sleep like your girl is tired. Like, I don't want another life after this. Like, we're good. I mean, do I get store credit or how does, how does that work? <laughs> I don't know. People like, honest, and I tell people this too. Like, I have absolutely no desire to spend eternity with all of these people that have been telling me I'm going to burn in hell if I don't believe the exact same thing as them worshiping a God that sounds quite honestly, incredibly narcissistic. Um, that sounds like hell to me. And also <laughs> they don't even have any good metal bands up there. I, what are you going to do? Right. What are you going to listen to? I know we're all going to sing hymns for eternity. It's going to be great. You'll love it. Striper. Trust me. Trust me, bro. It's all striper in heaven. <laughs> 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 Testament. <laughs> no, thank you. Stephen Curtis Chapman all day. <laughs> uh, is there is there anything else uh, before we do kind of like the closing where you're at and all the rest of it that you wanted to add? No, I, I don't think so. Thanks for letting me kind of just talk on and on uh, about all of this stuff. I love talking about it, obviously. Oh, we love hearing it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tracking me down because I know I can be very hard to nail down. <laughs> like, I, I, I sent our ADHD co-host to find the ADHD guest. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it took me six months to get here. The stars no, aligned and really Mercury was in Gatorade. It. it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
if for anyone that's like ever interested in having me on, it needs to go like this. You ask me and propose a date in the very near future <laughs> so that I can say yes or no right then. But if it's like, look at your calendar and get back to me, like, you better hope there's a next life because you're not going to hear from me <laughs> yeah, on this one. You're, you're <laughs> uh, so to speak, preaching to the choir about that. Um, oh, I did. Quick, quick yeah. correction. Um, I was wrong before I, I, I fucked up the, the it's Saturday and Sunday uh, of the 21st and the 22nd is Decon. And then the, the URL is Decon 2023. Uh, so whoever wants to, to sign up on that and, and do that. Yeah, I think that's about it. I don't know. Like, you're going to, I guess, tell them where to find me. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to, yeah, why don't you tell us like where people can find you? On a throne in hell. <laughs> Last daughter of Satan. Yes, exactly. That's me. Uh, so let's see. So I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com um, slash heathen queen, where I do my like longer form scholarly interviews. Uh, there's a whole bunch of They're really cool. Fun. Oh, and definitely and go there for the experience. evangelical nonsense. Yes, the definitely do that. Oh my TikTok. god! Well, so I I totally blew up your YouTube channel and your TikTok by liking like thirty videos in a row. We love it. Thank you. Um, I'm on TikTok, Queen of the Heathens. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's also Queen of the Heathens. Um, and I'm back on Twitter. Oh, what's what's the new one? The new one is so help me Jessica. All right. I uh, like so help me God. Gotcha. I'm and my name is spelled J E S S E C A. So that's the only important thing. You'll never find me otherwise. I will also be hosting some shows coming up. Uh, I'm going to be on The Hang Up this week with Matt Dillahunty. Oh, cool. And I'm hosting, after Decon, I'm hosting a show on women, Atheists Unload, talking about, of all things, incels. No way. Well, hey, I, I, I can't thank you. I can't thank you enough. It, it's been a, a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It oh, was thank you. Yeah, it was awesome, yeah. awesome talking with you. It really was. This was delightful. I feel like the Bob's in the office. The pleasure's all on this side of the table. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and love to do it again awesome. sometime. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, everybody. That is it for us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wet Wired. If you'd like to help support the show and help us stay ad-free and independent and also get a few extra premium episodes, you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash wetwired. You could also help us out by sharing an episode on social media or just sending one to a friend. Until next time. Hello, heathens. It's incredibly hot here today, but as I've been informed by the totally normal, not unhinged at all American evangelicals, not as hot as it will be when I'm in hell. Let's begin. First up, we have yet another sanctified piece of American garb. It's incredibly brave of American patriots to admit that Jesus is their big spoon. Happy pride. Second, we have this absolutely iconic church name, Going Hard for Christ. Better than going soft, I suppose. Third, we have White Jesus reimagined as Megamind which makes a lot more sense when you consider that, yes, he is our space dad. Fourth and finally, we have an adult male that made the conscious decision to get up and Jesus LARP by taking up his cross and going to Chipotle. Because nothing says I love Jesus like scaring children while they're trying to eat their burrito bowl. <laughs>